We are in Romans chapter one, uh, and this is that great work, theological work by Paul. And I've always told you about Paul, that any room that Paul was in, he would be the smartest man in the room. Not only did he have great theological understanding, he had great uh, wisdom in the world. He was extremely well-educated by the finest universities in the world. Uh, and here, he, here it is that uh, through the centuries, we have all of his words. Uh, and it's interesting because I was speaking with my son this week, who's preaching also on a similar subject, believe it or not, on faith. Uh, and we always compare notes. Uh, and he said to me this morning, he's going to say the following uh, to his congregation. He's going to talk about, there was Paul after his second imprisonment, second imprisonment, and now walking out of prison and knowing that he's about to be beheaded. All right. And do you think that he thought that there were doubts in his mind? Was it worth it? Did I do the right thing? Can this be right? How can this be happening to me? And as he's walking there, filled with doubt about what God maybe has called him to do, uh, and that we could reach across the centuries and say to him, Brother Paul, 2,000 years later, all across the world, people will be naming their children after you. <laughs> and here's the thing. They will be naming a salad after Caesar. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so this is about faith as, as, uh, as Paul is speaking to us about real faith. And talking about that Roman church, real faith. And so before I begin, uh, I, I always try to bring some current issue that comes up uh, in the newspaper. And there's an article that came out this last week uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and, the, and the title of the article is Religion is on the Decline as More Adults Check, check the, the uh, Position None, meaning no religion. Religiosity in the U.S. is in sharp decline, according to a study released by the Pew Research, Pew Research Center on Thursday, with the ranks of people who don't adhere to any faith growing fast while church attendance has fallen steeply. Christians make up about 65 percent of the adult population in the United States. That's down from 77 percent. All right. That's a drop of uh, a significant drop from 77 to 65 percent. Uh, in only about 10 years. Uh, at the same time, those who don't identify with any religion, often called nuns, now make up more than a quarter of the population. Imagine that. More than a quarter of the population in the United States uh, will say that they have no religion. Uh, and only 45% of adults said they attended church at least once a month. That's down from what it was 10 years ago at 65%. So these are drastic numbers. It, it effectively, what it shows is a seismic social reordering that has seen the population shift away from Christianity uh, and toward religious disaffiliation. Uh, and so a significant part of that group are the millennials, the youngest demographic group, uh, and uh, only 40% of them uh, identify themselves as Christians. Uh, so this is a significant issue. And so uh, uh, we, I, this is a really appropriate thing for us to be aware of as we study this lesson about faith. Uh, and as I prepared this lesson, 
and studied it, one of the things that I, that I saw is that Paul talks about division in the early church. Now I know you're saying we got to be more like the first century church. We got to be more like the new Testament church, right? But there was significant division even at that time in Philippians in Philippians, Paul speaks uh, about the church in Philippi and how it had been divided in half uh, and torn in half by two women, two women who were significant leaders in that church. Uh, one was named Euodius and the other was called Sinche. Uh, and you can read this in Philippians. And these two women helped Paul, help Paul uh, when he established that church. But then years later, some years later, uh, because they fell away from the cross of Jesus Christ and adopted their own thinking and their own philosophy, the church was divided and, and, and unraveling. Uh, and Paul says, Paul speaks about that and warns us about that. So make no mistake about it. We study, we study the scripture so that we can have God speak to our heart. And so today we're going to speak about Romans uh, chapter one, verse eight. As you know, I drill down one verse at a time. Uh, and uh, this verse says as follows. First, and this is the letter to the Roman church. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Your faith is being reported all over the world. And so here he is commenting about the great reputation of this faith of Christians in Rome. There they are right at the seat of Caesar, right? A million people, pagans all around them. And that these people have come together uh, to worship Jesus Christ, to advance the cross of Christ and the gospel. And Paul is thanking God for the reputation from the Roman church, thanking God. And so the question for us is why, why is such a reputation for worth worth so much? Why is a reputation for great faith worth, worth so much? Well, there's a number of reasons. The first reason is that the reputation uh, of the Christians at Rome uh, was worth having, that it was a faith that was based on a genuine foundation. Uh, it was based on a true faith. It was based on the, on the premise of Jesus Christ alone. Can I get an amen on that? You understand? It was based on Jesus Christ. It wasn't based on human philosophy uh, or social justice or any other philosophy. It was based totally on the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is an important place to begin because there is so much so-called faith in this world uh, that is really not biblical faith. I want to talk about biblical faith, all right? Because any other faith that is not biblical faith is undeserving of any such reputation. So uh, now in some people's minds, as we talk about this subject, they, faith is thought of chiefly, chiefly as a subjective religious feeling entirely divorced from God's written word. Uh, and that's not true faith, okay? You can't divorce your faith from God's word. You can't say you got your faith because you have a philosophical premise about faith. Your faith that you have give, been given is because God gave you your faith. You didn't earn it. You didn't develop it. At the moment that you opened your heart up and accepted Jesus Christ, God poured his Holy Spirit into you and gave you your faith. Make no mistake about it. Uh, and that's important that you understand that. 
and, and so it is not an objective faith. It is a biblical faith given to you entirely by God. And it is, it is not dependent on a variable outlook on life based on subjective feelings. Your faith does not, is not predicated upon the times that you go through, whether it's good times or bad times. Your faith is predicated on the foundation of Jesus Christ. All right? Uh, and if it's on anything else, it's going to fail. Now, there's another substitute for faith in the popular culture. It's a faith based on credulity. Credulity. And this is the attitude of people uh, that accept something because they strongly want it to be true. Okay, it's an intellectual faith. All right. They want it to be true. Uh, Sometime a a faith like that might be fixed upon a miraculous cure for some disease. Uh, But credulity doesn't make it happen. It's not based on optimism. All right. Your faith is not based on optimism or on a set of facts that you may have gone through in your life that may have uh, elevated you. Wishful thinking is not genuine faith. Wishful thinking is not a genuine faith. Now there's a third type of faith that's all over the television today. Okay. It's a faith based on what I call optimism. Optimism. I don't have to tell you the names of the preachers that do that. I'm not going to do that because my, my messages go all out over the country and people will hear it. And I don't want to denigrate anybody else. But this is a, 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 a perspective that's being sold by televangelists uh, that, that effectively is coaching, coaching people. You don't need to be coached. You have the great coach who's poured faith into your heart and your life. Uh, and Norman Vincent Peale. Now, the younger people in the room don't even know who he is. I'm just lucky enough to just be over that borderline. <laughs> I'm I'm just over that borderline. Norman Vincent Peale, a a guy who was very highly regarded in the 50s and the early 60s. Uh, He would come out monthly in a a small magazine called Guideposts. And he would speak uh, about uh, his position called the power of positive thinking. Right? Remember this? The power of positive thinking. It's not biblical. Okay? You can have all the positive thoughts you want, all right? That doesn't indicate you have a faith in our Lord and Savior. In that book, he suggested that we collect strong New Testament texts about faith. Memorize them. Let them sink down into our subconscious. And then recall them and recite them whenever we find faith in ourselves wavering. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? When I find my faith wavering, I'm going to get on my knees and ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. All right? To draw me closer to the cross. That's the faith that we need. Peel would say, and this is is a quote right from Norman Vincent Peel. Quote, according to your faith in yourself, stop. Faith in yourself. Let me tell you about myself. I've looked deep within my heart. All right. And before I gave myself to Jesus, deep within my heart was a black hole. You got it? It was darkness. All right. But since I gave myself to Jesus Christ, I can look and find Jesus there. But he says, according to your faith in yourself, according to your faith in your job, according to your faith in God, this far you will get and no further. 
Come on, Norman. You're offline here. It's not about yourself or your job. It's about Jesus Christ. Your faith has to be premised on him and him alone. He goes further in this statement, faith in yourself, faith in your job and faith in God effectively are all the same thing. He makes them equivalent. And so the last words of his book are simply uh, quote, so believe and live successfully. Are you kidding me? So believe and live successfully. That's not the Bible. No, that's not the Bible. Look, God has never declared that you will, you, you will be rich, that you will go through a life without problems, that you'll have a big house or a big boat, all right? He has not guaranteed you any of that. All he has guaranteed is life eternal with him, all right? And that he will surround you with his presence and with his Holy Spirit, and he will give you a life of peace and give you everything you need, not what you want. Separate that, your needs from your wants. It's an entirely different thing. Uh, and so uh, here is a premise of a social positive outlook for life, but it is not the same as biblical faith. And it is not the faith uh, for which the apostle Paul thanked God on behalf of the Roman Christians. Why do you think he thanked God? He thanked God because he knew it was God that gave them the faith. You understand? It was God that gave them that faith. And so that's why he thanked them. And so there are two reasons that the faith of the believers at Rome was a genuine faith in contrast to these other mistaken views of faith. First, their faith was in Jesus Christ in the gospel, which is centered in him. This is unmistakable uh, from the context uh, of the gospel. Unmistakable. And you see it here in verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God is using you. He's delivering sermons based on your life. And you know, this is exactly what my father preached for 55 years. Uh, and he would say, every one of us, every one of us has a responsibility to spread the gospel to the world. And sometimes even use words. Sometimes even use words. Yeah. Because your life, your faith is the poster of what God is doing in your life. That's what the world is seeing. Uh, and so it's unmistakable from this context. So in the first seven verses of the scripture here, uh, Paul has spoken at length uh, about the gospel, defining it uh, as the gospel of God. Uh, and he has promised that in that gospel, he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy scriptures regarding Jesus Christ. And so Paul here is praising God, praising God for the faith of the Roman Christians and it's quite clear and evident that this is the kind of faith that he has in mind. This is the, the holy faith. Their reputation for faith was worth having because theirs was a true faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was not premised on human philosophy. It was not premised on, on, on optimism. It was not premised on positive thinking. It was premised on Jesus Christ, irrespective of the life that you're going through, irrespective of the persecution and the suffering that you're going through. And I know a lot of you are suffering. I know it. Some of you are suffering from emotional attacks. Some of you are suffering from physical issues. God sees it. And yet we stay straight. 
We follow the cross. Why? Because our faith is premised on Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. That is the foundational aspect of what our faith is about. And if your faith is not premised on that, you need to get on your knees and ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit and put that kind of faith in your heart. Because all other kinds of faith are worthless. Worthless. They will fail. You will fall. And you will see that in your life. Meaningless. Christ alone. That's all it's about. And second, what was it about their faith? Well, second, uh, this is a faith that God himself brought into being. And not something that welled up unaided in the hearts of mere human beings. And I want to say that about it. You, that many of us think that in some ways we pat ourselves on the back. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a man of great faith. Oh, I've prayed a lot. Oh, I've read scripture a lot. And I am a giant of faith. No, you're a midget of faith. <laughs> you're not a giant of faith. The faith that you have is given to you solely because God poured it into your heart. All right. And then as life goes on and we walk with Christ one step after the other, after the other, he strengthens that faith. He grows that faith. It becomes a muscular faith as we walk with him towards the cross. That's what this is about. Not something that wells up in your heart unaided uh, in mere human beings. That's why Paul begins by thanking God. And not by praising them for their commitment. You don't see him saying, oh, you guys are good. Oh, man, you guys are terrific human beings. You're special human beings. Oh, I thank God. I thank God for your faith. I thank God for your faith. Uh, and so you see this. And why was it? It was because that faith was contagious. You understand? It's contagious. When you have that kind of awe-inspiring, God-given faith, when you come in contact with others, that faith leaps out. It touches the heart of other people. They see you. They know there's something different about, about you. Uh, and you know, uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Even when you're compelled in circumstances that you would never think you could say. Recently, I was blessed uh, beyond anything that I deserved. I got a lifetime uh, uh, award, achievement award by... Uh, a national lawyers group in Chicago two weeks ago. Uh, and I didn't deserve it. Uh, I mean, really, and I'm not saying that uh, because I have, I'm falsely humble. It was just, they, it's what God did. And when I got up to accept the award, as I spoke about uh, my lifetime experience, God impressed on me that I had to close in front of a room of lawyers and tax directors. Cause they were going to hear something that they'd never heard before. And here's how I closed. All right. I said, there's one other thing that I have to say, uh, that I have one person to thank specifically for, for what happened in my life. And it goes back to when I was 30 years old, 30 years old. And I would go to my couple times a week. I'd go to my mother and father as I went to work in my office and I would have breakfast with them. And my mother and father were humble servants of God. My father had been a lifetime pastor of a small church. He'd given his life to service of God. And so I would go over there as a 30-year-old young man. Really, all I wanted to hear is, you're a smart little boy. <laughs> Was that asking so much? 
And so I would regale them. Oh, I just won this big case. Oh, I just signed up this, con this big client. Oh, I'm representing this Fortune 500 thing. Oh, things are going good. And my father, every time another word would come out of my mouth, he would go, thank God. Thank God. And my mother would repeat it. Thank God. And finally, I was disgusted. <laughs> I'm 30 years old, filled, you know, with self-righteousness and arrogance. Dad, I'm killing myself. I'm killing myself. Do you have any idea how hard it is to establish a law firm to go out and bring clients in to win these cases? Do you have any idea how difficult it is to do this? He goes, well, wait a minute, son. Could you do it if God didn't give you health? Well, no. <laughs> and could you do it if God didn't give you intelligence? Well, no. And could you do it if God didn't give you opportunity? Well, no. And could you do it if your mother and I weren't praying for you here all day long, seven days a week? Could you do it? Well, no. So I walked into that house being six foot one. And when I went out of that house, I was one inch tall. <laughs> and so here was the message I delivered to this group of people, most of whom were not Christians. Thank God, I said. Thank God for everything that he's given me, for everything that he's done in my life, and for being a part of you, and you also should thank God. Now, that's the faith that Jesus Christ pours into your heart, that you can get up in a place in which there's no, <laughs> there's no conformity that you're speaking to like-minded people, but your faith is so overpowering that you can't even control the message. Amen. You understand? That's why you can go to diverse places, to go to disparate congregations and disparate groups and speak about Jesus Christ. This is exactly what God has in mind. That is the message that we have here. And so this is the New Testament message about what faith is about, how significant it is about us. Uh, and so even as we go out into the world and God wants us to go out into the world, it is this very faith that is going to be contagious and speak to others. And then there's a third reason why the reputation for faith in the church was worth having. It was because it was that faith that served as an encouragement to other believers. And let me say this to you. This has been a big part of my life because when I go and visit you in hospitals, even when I've walked into hospital rooms where our people are dying, and yet I see the faith of people that are dying, I am lifted up. I am humbled that God would allow you to continue to preach to me in those hospital beds. And that's what God is doing. You're lifting up those who need, and Paul certainly needed encouragement. Look, take, look at 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. How, Paul, wait a minute. Who's talking to me here? Weakness and trembling and much fear. That's right. Brother Paul, brother Paul, weakness and fear and trembling. Why? Because he's a human being. You understand that we're all human, that every day we're going to have these doubts and despairs that come into our life. And yet when he sees those people that have this kind of faith, it lifts him up. It speaks to him. Look also at second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight. Now we'll start with verse seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Oh, my Lord. Look at that. Look at the, look at the words. Look at how he speaks about what you're going to go through uh, and yet how your faith will keep you together. Hard pressed, crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted and abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That's the kind of faith that you want. That's the only kind of faith to have the faith of Jesus Christ. Look also at while you're in second Corinthians, look at uh, chapter 11, second Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 28. We'll start with 27. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Wow. My concern for the church. He's burdened for the church. He needs to see your faith to elevate him, to let him understand that God is responding to his prayers and pouring his faith into you. You understand what the leadership needs and why, why you're, everyone needs encouragement. Everyone. I don't care if it's the guy who's at the pulpit or the last person sitting in the last row in church. We all need encouragement. And that's why God has given you faith to do that. And so that faith that the Romans had was, was a faith that was not based on some other virtue. Uh, it was a, an essential item in life. It was the most critical thing in life. Faith in Jesus Christ is what matters more than any other thing. Spiritual knowledge is good. Good works are necessary. The fruit of the spirit demonstrates who you are, but faith alone, faith alone in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is essential for without faith, it is impossible to please God. And you can turn to your Bibles to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11. And we'll finish with this verse, Hebrews 11, verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There it is. That's why you're saved. You're saved because it's your faith that allows you to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in my heart and I confess with my lips through the faith, heavenly father that you've given me. Thank you, God. Thank you for this. Thank you for this message. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Father, I thank you for Paul that he has had this incredible spiritual discernment to write these words that touch us through the centuries. Lord, let this lesson resonate in our hearts. Let us grow stronger in our faith day by day. Lord, lift us up, affirm us and, and continue to protect us as we consider this message. Lord, bless our people and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless.